I'm Kelsey. I'm Cassie. And I'm Nolan from SCP Weekly. We bring you news from on-site and off-site. And we share your love for the creative community that surrounds the SCP Wiki. Join us on Tuesdays for new episodes, wherever you listen to podcasts, or on YouTube at SCP Weekly. The file you are about to hear has been thoroughly scrutinized by the Ethics Committee and approved by the O5 Council for release to trusted associates of the Foundation. This is SCP Unredacted. Level 4, zero, zero, 001 Classified Item Number SCP-001 Object Class Pending Special Containment Procedures Full containment procedures have not been finalized due to recent changes in the status of SCP-001 detailed at the conclusion of this file with a tentative response plan. Foundation policy on cybernetic implants is currently frozen pending council vote. Description SCP-001 is an extra-dimensional bubble of self-contained reality located in the southern Arabian desert inaccessible to individuals who do not have prior knowledge of the anomaly's location. Traveling through the desert with only the intention of reaching the anomaly is not sufficient. Express and exact knowledge of its geographic location is required. Notably, individuals with some sort of artificial implant, ranging from surgical screws and plates to complex prosthetics, appear to have a higher chance of success in locating and entering the anomaly. The purpose and range of this is unclear, but personnel with implants successfully entered the anomaly in 88% of tests compared to the 62% standard. The anomaly contains an ancient metropolis partially buried in the sand. Maps and initial sonar testing indicate that approximately two-thirds of the city is above ground, while the subterranean portion has degraded heavily and is no longer structurally sound. The above-ground portion is made up of skyscrapers and buildings up to half a kilometer tall designed using modern techniques far beyond those available at the time of construction, which has been carbon dated to approximately 2400 BCE. The buildings are fully set and furnished and appear to have served residential, commercial, bureaucratic, and various other uses. The largest and most intricate of these buildings is a large temple structure in the center of the city that extends through all thirds. There are no living organisms inside the city. The buildings also contain artistic works and large bas-reliefs depicting a variety of scenes ranging from apparently religious stories to historical events. These contain writing in an unknown language containing elements of Old Arabic. Most of these are concentrated in the temple at the heart of the anomaly. The subterranean floors are dominated by extensive, complex machinery. These range from antiquated clockwork systems to vacuum tubes 
to power generators extremely similar to modern nuclear reactors. However, all machinery is non-functional and appears to be in a state of advanced disrepair. SCP-001-A is a collective designation for all automata found within the city, chief among which is SCP-001-A1. A1 has identified the city as being the origin for the Quranic myth of Aram of the Pillars, but has clarified that its proper name is Amini Ram. Section 001.1 Historical Briefing The first mention of Aram in mundane literature is in the 89th chapter of the Quran, lines 6 through 14. They reference Iram, who had lofty pillars, the likes of whom had never been created in the lands, as a culture subject to divine retribution by God for their oppression of others. Have you not considered how your Lord dealt with Ad Aram, who had lofty pillars, the likes of whom had never been created in the lands, and with Thamud, who carved out the rocks in the valley, and with Pharaoh, owner of the pyramids, all of whom oppressed within the lands, and increased therein the corruption, so your Lord poured upon them a scourge of punishment. Indeed, your Lord is in observation. Sarah al-Fadr. Many theories have been offered on the identity or location of the group or city identified as Aram, but nothing has ever been confirmed by the wider historical community. The anomaly first came to Foundation attention in 1983, upon the containment of SCP-1867. With the seizure of assets in the entity's private vault, a series of journals was recovered, detailing its experiences with the French Army d'Orient during their campaign into the Middle East in 1801. One journal partially dictated an encounter with a vast, ruined city, accessible only to those who knew its location but moisture damage had left the journal largely unreadable. An interview was conducted. Attached transcript, June 1983. Interviewer, Dr. Cassandra Haswell, Parahistory Division, Special Consultant on Anomalous Cults and Cultures. Subject, SCP-1867, Lord Theodore Thomas Blackwood. Begin log. Evening, madam. Hello, Lord Blackwood. I must say, it's heartening to see someone of the gentler sex in such an academic position. Warms the cockles of my heart. Right. Well, we'd like to talk to you about one of the items recovered from your vault. A journal titled Lord Blackwood and the First Cities of Man. Of course, of course. Penned from 1800 to 1824. Does the journal not answer your questions? I recall being very thorough. Water damage has left it unreadable. I see. That's a shame. Well, it's been quite a while, but I remember that adventure fondly. Initiated by a gift given to me by one Monseigneur Jacques Brazeau of L'Estate Noir. Agents of the French Crown had recovered it before the revolution from an ancient shipwreck in the Aegean Sea. 
What was it? A set of six clay tablets, remarkably preserved for their age, detailing the existence of three empires spanning Asia, thousands of years old and more powerful and advanced than any culture since even our own. And of course, their nigh-apocalyptic war. You would think something like that would leave evidence. Yes, I was similarly skeptical upon my first reading of the tablets. But they addressed those inquiries. These empires were advanced occultists, magicians and magic users ruled by sorcerer nawabs. Hiding their cities from their enemies was a trivial task, and exactly why the mundane scholars have found nothing. But not you, I take it. Exactly correct, madam. I believe I have a copy of one of the pages from the journal stashed away somewhere. I'll see if we can't find that. But in simplest terms, the first of the three great cities of man was Amani-Ram, located in the sands of Arabia. As luck would have it, Monsignor Brazo was accompanying General Bonaparte, still a general at the time, thank heavens, on his campaign into Egypt. Simple matter for me and a small expedition to tag along and then diverge into the peninsula. So you knew the location of the city at this point? In a fashion. You see, the tablets claim Amani-Ram was hidden after the other empires allied to attack it, as it was a superior center of knowledge and weaponry. Only those who knew its location could enter, and its location happened to be recorded in the tablets. Three days into the desert we found it. It was like passing into a bubble, and the towers became visible over the horizon. Towers, you said? Great buildings fashioned of metal, impossibly tall, easily hundreds of meters. A bronze glow set them alight from the sun overhead. There must have been a dozen of those skyscraping buildings, between them resting smaller but still grand buildings of marble, stone, clay, towering minarets and domes like those found in Mohammedan temples, a grand sight altogether. The city must have been able to hold hundreds of thousands of people. We explored a tiny fraction of the surface portion. There's a subterranean area. Even bigger than the surface, I would say. Again, we could not explore deep. The underground rapidly transitioned from grand hollows and caverns to a winding labyrinthine tunnel system. Metal pipes and doors and rivets all throughout. Machinery I could not begin to guess the purpose of. All still as death. Did you find any entities inside the city? No living ones. Though my men repeatedly claimed they heard something skittering about while we stayed in the city. I dismissed it as wildlife, sand rabbits or such. We never saw anything. What about dead ones? Yes. Entire sections of the tunnels were impassable. Growths of a strange black vine as thick as a man, winding and knotting entire passageways. It appeared petrified. There were also curious bulbous sacks sticking to the walls and ceilings of many buildings, under and above ground. I prodded these with my sword. They leaked, spewing out a decomposing specimen that smelled like death. An impossibly emaciated man, skin, burned away by the acid. 
we did not touch them again. Sounds like something bad happened there. Indeed. Throughout, the city has a very specific air, I suppose. An air? The distinct feeling of walking into a graveyard. End log. The entity surrendered the location of the Aegean tablets. Translation is ongoing due to the extremely specific dialect of ancient Greek they are written in. The extant page of the journal mentioned by Blackwood contains a translation of the front of the first tablet. Attached document, July 1983. In the beginning, there were three. A thousand years before, before man learned of Olympus, before the extinction of the giants, before the sea had fully regressed, there were three. Three great cities dividing the world tripartite. Momjul and Karar, two dark fortresses resting in the jungles of the subcontinent. The magicians and sorcerer Nawabs allied themselves against the horrors of the jungle and crossed a pact with something ancient. The Covenant of the Deva was born, using the first magic gifted to man, the magic of life and death. Adatum, a city thrown into rebellion by a charismatic slave-turned-lay preacher who promised wealth, freedom, and power to those that would help him. Together, they threw off their yokes, slaughtered their oppressors with their new sorcery, and rebuilt their collapsed city, all under the name of the Grand Karsist Ion. The Nalka Empire freed the second magic, Carnomancy, the magic of flesh. Omni Rom, first great Rom of the Mechanite Empire, as it spread like a wildfire from the deserts, a gleaming, shining metropolis rising out of the dunes, a center of knowledge, science, understanding that the world had never seen. The magic of machines became known, the fervor for a new god that sought to uplift men, not subjugate them. A thousand years before, the three great nations of men fought a war that destroyed the world. The Aegean tablets go on to clarify that Amenirom was ruled by a theocratic cult in the area. The endonym of the cult is unknown, but the Greek tablets refer to it exclusively as the Mechanite cult, or cult of the broken god. No other evidence for this group has been discovered thus far. Section 001.2 Initial Encounter MTF Sigma-3 Magellan men were dispatched to the coordinates provided by Lord Blackwood to investigate the location of the anomaly and, if possible, gain entry to the city. Attached document, August 1983. Begin log. We're coming up to the coordinates now. Set her down nice and easy. We'll walk the last click. Over. Roger that. Over. Magellan 5 drops altitude, lowering the helicopter to the ground. The rest of the Magellan team disembarks. Location is directly due north, sir. 
About 0.7 click walk. Right. Let's get going. Over the next 14 minutes, the Magellan team closes in on the coordinates of the anomaly. Closing in, sir. Copy. Continue through. Keep on radio contact. Got it. Over. Over the next several minutes, all members of Magellan fan out over the nearby area and try to locate the anomaly. They are unsuccessful. Command, we can't find anything out here. Our instruments aren't showing anything either. It looks like regular old Magellan, we are no longer reading Magellan 4's biometrics. Please confirm. Magellan 4. Chris? Do you copy? Say this is Magellan 4. The hell do you guys go? Over? We're still here. Where did you go? Wait, you... Hold on. Magellan 4 partially reappears. His upper half juts out from midair, as if he is leaning through a doorway. Oh, you found it. Well done. Command, permission enter. Permission granted. Apparently radio's still working there. Keep in contact. Over. The Magellan team enters the anomaly. Biometrics are lost. Audiovisual contact is lost for 13 seconds and a video feed for Magellan 4's ocular implants begins transmitting. The other three members of Magellan are visible, standing on a sand dune. Several hundred meters ahead of them, a massive glass and metal city stands, shining in the sunlight. Its skyscrapers are hundreds of meters tall, bordering broad avenues of sandstone. Oh man, that is, wow. That's beautiful. Please enter the city and begin initial exploration. Magellan continues into the streets of Amini-Ram. The larger skyscrapers are made of a bronze-colored metal and polished glass, while the smaller buildings seem to be constructed from a blend of limestone bricks and concrete. All buildings exhibit an architectural style reminiscent of Islamic and Moroccan architecture. The streets appear to have designated sections for pedestrians and larger traffic. This place is thousands of years old. Why do they have streets with lanes? The rest of the place looks awfully advanced. Maybe early on with cars or something? I don't know. Magellan 3 exits a home. These are all fully furnished, too. It looks lived in. Like everyone up and left midway through dinner. You guys hear that? No. What is it? Nothing. Fire a rat or something. Magellan continues through the city. They encounter large stairways inset into the ground, leading to the subterranean sections. They return before descending more than a few meters. Blackwood wasn't lying. Looks like there's a pretty substantial underground part to the city. Almost like a subway or something. It's dark and smells musty as hell down there, though. I can't see a thing. Wouldn't suggest descending without the rat. Noted. Thank you. Magellan continues, arriving in a heavily deteriorated section of the city. The buildings look heavily damaged, with entire sections demolished and left to the elements. Oh, crap. Command? Before them lies a deep hole in the ground. At the bottom, a large pile of skeletons is visible. Pit trap? No. No obvious method of death at the bottom. The remains are too intact for them to have died on impact. That's a mass grave. Jesus. What happened here? 
What's that at the bottom? Looks like one of the vines Blackwood mentioned. Hell if I'm going down there, though. If he's right, there should be plenty around to grab samples from. After two hours of walking through the ruined portion of the city, encountering many more graves, Magellan approaches the low, wide complex in the approximate center of the anomaly. It is only a few stories high, but much more grand, decorated in wide bas-reliefs and illustrated facades with ceramic tiling. Fancy. Between the location and the grandeur, I think it's a palace or a temple. It does look very... holy. Permission to enter? Permission granted. Magellan enters the compound. The interior is an open-air courtyard with a central 30-meter statue of a man sitting on a throne. The man's face is obscured by an intricate mask, and his robes fall away to reveal a torso made of metal plating. Looks kingly, all right. I sure hope that's not life-size. Check out these walls, Command. They look almost like... No, they're definitely telling a story. Should get somebody smarter than us to take a look at it. Roger. Continue into the palace for now. Magellan enters through a large doorway into a central court area. An oversized throne, inset with gears and swords, sits on a raised dais at the opposite end. The interior of the palace is vast. The following hour is spent exploring its various staterooms, kitchens, and bathrooms. The vast gardens are completely bare of greenery, and as with the rest of the city, no living thing is present. Magellan returns to the throne room. This place gives me the creeps. It doesn't feel abandoned, but where is everyone? No idea. In any case, it's getting late. We should pack it in and- Magellan 4 turns to the wall, raising a hand. As with the rest of the city, there are numerous pipes running across the walls. Four. It's okay. You can come out. We won't hurt you. A metallic skittering is audible from inside the pipe. The other three members of Magellan draw their sidearms. Four, what are you talking? A metallic automaton resembling a horseshoe crab gingerly peeks out of a hole in the pipe. It slowly approaches and climbs onto Four's outstretched arm. Command, you seeing this? Roger. It doesn't seem to be dangerous. Don't shoot anything, but don't let your guard down. Head on back. Got it. Over. At least there's only- A loud skittering becomes audible. Around the throne room, a larger number of automatons, all small but varying in shape, peer out of the various pipes. Oh. The Magellan team exited Omni-Rom and were not pursued by the Dash A instances. On their way out, they noticed many Dash A instances milling about the city and traversing through the city's pipe system, indicating its purpose as transportation for the entities. The Dash A instances expressed no hostility toward the Magellan team, and several approached to investigate. None followed past the borders of the city. Section 001.3 Investigation Upon the debriefing of the Magellan team and a series of subsequent expeditions to ascertain the area's safety and the docility of the Dash A instances, it was proposed 
that a long-term research outpost be established inside the anomaly to study the history of Omni-Rom, the then-unmapped Undercity, and Dash A. Attached Document, August 1983 Council Vote Summary, Yay, 9, Nay, 3, Abstain, 1. Status, Approved. 43 researchers were flown in from various sites and departments, primarily specializing in archaeology, history, anomalous or otherwise, and paratechnology. Accompanying them was the 15-man tactical response team India-3, Cherno. As augmented personnel were still common within the Foundation at this time, individuals with complex prosthetics, bionics, and implants were favored both due to the relative ease of accessing the anomaly and for further study of the unexplained connection to the Dash A instances. Two co-leads were selected for the project, Dr. Robert Aram and Dr. Hedvig Nussbaum. Dr. Robert Aram. Age 33. Position. Senior researcher in the paratechnology department. Special consultant on anomalous robotics. Education, Ph.D. in Thaw Mechatronics from ICSUT, Three Portlands. Previous assignment, Consulting on Anomalous Technology, recovered from Group of Interest, Prometheus Labs, Incorporated. Aram left his previous employer, Prometheus Labs, Incorporated, in 1979 over a salary dispute, accepted an attractive recruitment offer from the Foundation later that year and was brought in to consult and advise on anomalous objects recovered from his previous workplace. He distinguished himself with superior prodigal knowledge and skill in handling paratechnology and was promoted to senior researcher in 1982. Other Notes Aram's left arm and leg are amputated below the elbow and knee following a laboratory accident at Prometheus. They were replaced with high-quality anomalous prosthetics that allow fine motor movement and limited tactile sensation. Due to his dependence on them to function in the workplace, they have not been placed into containment and are in his full-time custody. Dr. Hedwig Nussbaum Age, 43 Position, Researcher with the Parahistory Division Special Consultant on Anomalous Cults and Cultures. Education. PhD in Archaeology, University of Oslo. Previous Assignment. Cataloging Anomalous Objects Recovered in the Possession of SCP-1867. Employment Summary. Nussbaum was recruited out of graduate school at 32 in 1972. She served as a junior researcher on various programs until 1983 and was promoted to full researcher with level 3 clearance upon her discovery of a complex series of anomalous ruins in sub-Saharan Africa. She was assigned to assist with the cataloging and identification of the large number of anomalous artifacts discovered in SCP-1867's vault when she uncovered the references to the anomaly. Other Notes Nussbaum possesses a non-invasive ocular implant, 
allowing hands-free visual communication and overlay, as well as general access to Foundation databases. All personnel selected were introduced through the anomaly with substantial supplies and equipment, and organized a provisional dormitory and research facility in the temple and palace complex, designated ARF-01. Dash-A instances appeared intrigued by the new arrivals and approached to investigate, before losing interest shortly thereafter. Researchers were organized primarily into two groups, an engineering team headed by Dr. Aram to investigate the technology of Omni-Ram and Dash-A instances, and an anthropological team headed by Dr. Nussbaum to investigate the history, culture, and ultimate fate of the Mechanite Empire. A general directive was given for all researchers and tactical response officers to avoid the subterranean undercity until a detachment from MTF Zeta-9 mole rats could arrive to map it out and declare it safe for study. In the meantime, both groups began investigating the rest of the surface city and compiling preliminary reports. Attached document, September 1983. From the desk of Dr. Robert Aram, Amani Ram Initiative. Preliminary notes on the paratechnology of Amani Ram. I've encountered many strange, unique things over my career at Prometheus and the Foundation, but I can firmly state that I've never seen anything quite as magical as Amani Ram. So far, we've only been able to investigate the machinery on the surface city. I'm told the real treasure is under the streets, but obviously we can't explore that right now, which appears to be largely concentrated in the upper floors of the skyscrapers, though. I think calling them skyscrapers is an understatement. Each is about 500 meters, a little taller than Sears Tower. A marvel of engineering in and of itself, but not an obviously anomalous one. What they contain, however, is a different story. From my layman's perspective, they appear to be combination residential, office, and bureaucratic buildings. Each floor seems to consign itself to one of those three types and contains appropriate pieces of technology. Most are too degraded to be useful, but the fact that they're there at all after thousands of years is incredible. I can discern the purposes of about a quarter of them, though. They're all anomalous to some extent, the drones are writing up detailed reports now, but they variously break laws of thermodynamics, physics, and matter conservation, and often simply use magic to do things as mundane as copy documents, or keep food hot or cold. And of course, the automata. Little machines made of a golden metal and built to resemble animals that this culture in the middle of the desert could have no possible way of knowing about. Definitely sentient, possibly sapient, fully mechanical. I found a broken open one in the street and took it as a sample, but demonstrating what looks to me like primitive artificial intelligence. There must be hundreds of them at least. My guess is that they were designed to maintain the city and for the millennia it's lain abandoned, they've been doing exactly that. They're pretty cute, to be honest. Whatever this civilization was, the Anomalous was so pedestrian to them, they were using paratechnology we even now barely understand as household appliances and servants. They were playing with nuclear reactors while the rest of us huddled in caves behind the fire. If this is any indicator of what lies below the streets, Amani Ram might be the key to pushing humanity into the future. Attached document, September 1983. From the desk of Dr. Hedwig Nussbaum, Amoni Ram Initiative. Personal thoughts on the historical potential of Amoni Ram. 
I have to continually pinch myself to make sure I'm not dreaming. A vast city, undocumented by anyone else in the modern era, hiding a culture that had blended advanced magic and technology to settle half of Asia, while the Egyptians had yet to settle the Nile. If the evidence wasn't surrounding me, I'd call myself a liar. We've already discovered much. Some of the researchers are more interested in investigating the individual houses and homes to see what an average citizen lived like. Completely understandable. That said, I'm far more intrigued by this cult of Makan that seems to pervade every aspect of Omniram. In the ruins of Sumer and other ancient cities, religious iconography is common. Here, it's ubiquitous. The palace temple is the most obvious example of this, with mechanical base reliefs that seem to tell a creation myth laid throughout. The buildings, houses, shops, skyscrapers, even the machinery Robert's team is disassembling have this religious significance about them. It's especially fascinating since practically nothing else is known to us about the religion or culture of these Mechanites beyond the admittedly questionable statements of Lord Blackwood. Even the name Mechanite is a Greek epithet used in the Aegean tablets, derivative of Makan or machine. As it stands, their culture is a black box, and even with their morals and writings, I doubt we will ever have more than a passing understanding of this once great civilization. And what happened to them? MTF Zeta 9 Fireteam Echo passed through the anomaly and arrived in Omni Ram on September 6th with no complications. The next day, they prepared themselves for insertion into the Undercity in a controlled exploration. All members were, along with their individual digital augments and implants, equipped with cochlear topological mappers, devices that use high-frequency echoing sound waves to construct maps of subterranean areas. Attached transcript, September 1983. Begin log. Echo 1, beginning op. Inserting into Amani Ram subterranean zone from entrance Alpha near home base. Looks dark down there. Night vision. Sounds good. The Echo team activates night vision on their ocular implants. Alright, here we go. Descending now. The members of Echo begin traveling down the stairwell. You'll have to describe to us what you're seeing, Echo. Not much right now. Just stairs. Kind of fancy stairs. Marble or something. Not exactly what you'd use for industrial applications. Might not be an industrial area at all. They continue descent before their elevation stabilizes. Alright, we appear to have reached the bottom. Instruments say we are 25 meters below ground. We're in some sort of corridor. Walls are stone, but there's those same pipes in every direction. There's a couple of paths we could take. Taking the first left. Left-hand rule. Leave a marker trail. 
The team begins walking down the corridor, periodically marking the wall with red paint. It is wide enough to comfortably accommodate all the members. Looks like there's lights on the walls. Not functional, though. I see something up ahead, I think, down the left. Yep. Eyes up, boys. The Echo Team advances into the room. Clear. Looks like some sort of foundry command. Huge room. Assembly line. Lots of big machinery. Most of it looks trash, though. Taking photos. The techies will love this. The team moves around the room, collecting evidence and surveying the area. Let's not spend the day down here, folks. Keep moving. Yeah, pack it up now. Onwards and downwards. The team exits the room, continuing on their path. The corridor gently slopes downward. Descending again. Air quality degrading. Nothing anomalous, but I'd wager the ventilation down here isn't so good. Wow, I wonder why. Yeah. Command, I'd recommend gas masks for any trips down here, just to be on the safe side. How low are we now? We've dropped to 30 meters, and we're at a fork in the road. Left. The team is interrupted by a noise coming from the pipes. After several seconds, it ceases. Safety's off. I don't trust those crab things. Four, you watch her rear. Yes, sir. Don't just stand there, people. Keep moving. The team continues down the fork and encounters a corridor with several doors inset into the stone. The team enters the nearest door. Workshop of some sort. Small room. Desks along the wall. I think that was paper at some point. Nothing particularly interesting. Moving on. The rest of the rooms are similarly workshop spaces or storage closets. The team continues down the paths for several minutes, discovering other small, non-notable facilities, and takes a left at the next fork into a hallway made of metallic pipes. Ow! Something wrong? No, sorry. Uh, implant acting kind of wonky. Is it flickering and going staticky? Yeah. How did I'm you... getting to mine, too. I asked some of the scientists. They mentioned their augments have also been a little cranky. Cities obviously had a weird relationship with tech. They're working on figuring out what. <sighs> well, don't go to fuck. Echo 3 loses his footing and is grabbed by Echo 2 as the pipework beneath shears away and collapses. A large section falls into the abyss below, landing with a splash. Whoa, you good? Yeah, Jesus, thanks. Uh, I think we found the sewers. Oh, that fucking reeks. Looks like the underground was for all the maintenance of the city. Construction, making those little robots. Essential functions to keep running. Yeah. yeah, it looks like the underground part isn't used quite as well as the city above ground. Hmm. Well, we're not getting through here. Let's go back, take the other way. For the next hour, the Echo Team explores the vast tunnel system, marking points of interest and unsafe routes and passages. They encounter a sector entrance 
that appears to be overgrown by black vines. Those plants the other guys mentioned. Echo 2 reaches down to take a sample. At his touch, the entire vine crumbles into a fine black dust. He places it in a sample bag. It's dead at least, but look there. On the wall, a human skeleton is pinned against the concrete by the vines. Several are wrapped around the limbs, and several jut through the ribs and into the concrete. Ouch. The plant that kills. Stay sharp. And here's one of those pods. A roughly square meter-sized ellipsoid pod sits on a stalk protruding from the length of the vine. Echo 4 gives it a sharp jab with a rifle butt. It ruptures, leaking a foul-smelling black liquid that dissolves the vine it comes into contact with. An object tumbles out into the puddle. Yep, corpse. Highly decomposed, just like Blackwood found. The Echo team continues through the tunnels, encountering a large number of the vines with their victims. They also encounter mass graves similar to those found by Magellan on the surface. These walls are all covering machinery. I just realized I can see parts through cracks in the metal. Probably more city maintenance. Probably magic. You think the entire Undercity is a machine? It could be. We'd have to do some mapping, but it wouldn't be the least believable thing here. The Echo team is interrupted by another clanging throughout the pipe system, this one considerably closer. They raise their firearms. After a few seconds, a Dash A instance, shaped like a small monkey, leaves the pipe system from a gap, moving past the Echo team. At the corner ahead, it turns to look at them. Cute. I think it's asking us to follow it, sir. Seems like it. Okay, follow the monkey, I guess. Be careful. The Echo team follows the Dash A instance for 35 minutes as it leads them deeper underground and through the subterranean facility, over large abysses and through rooms of large, complex machinery and displays. Eventually, it stops as they enter a cavernous room containing a single large object at its far end. Their location is directly under the palace in the center of the city. What is that? It looks like a person. What the hell? The object is a massive block of metal covered in gears, displays, circuitry, and vacuum tubes extending throughout the room to more machinery arranged along the walls. At the front of the block of metal, a vaguely humanoid figure juts outward, hanging into the empty air like a figurehead. A human head, arm, and upper chest are placed on a mostly mechanical frame. It looks upward as the Echo team approaches, firearms raised. It opens its mouth, and a stilted feminine voice with a digital edge booms out from the machine. You have entered the gate of the West. Aditum's answer, the great and holy city of Omni-Ra. Welcome. There is much to discuss.
Thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, join my Discord community, hire me on Fiverr, or help support me by becoming a patron for as little as $3 a month. Regardless of tier, all patrons get early access to every single episode. The links are in the description. I don't have the talent it takes to write a skip. All I do is read. Original authors make this podcast possible, so credit to the original author. Their link's in the description. Show them some love as well. Consider becoming a member of the SCP Wiki. Upvote their work and maybe write a skip of your own. Maybe I'll read it here someday. You never know if you never try. The content of this podcast and content relating to the SCP Foundation, including the SCP Foundation logo, is licensed under Creative Commons ShareLight 3.0, and all concepts originate from scpwiki.com and its authors. This recording, being derived from this content, is hereby also released under Creative Commons ShareLight 3.0. I'm Grigori Carpin from Simply Creative People, the podcast where we discuss GOIs, canons, and stories from the SCP Wiki. And we try to recommend things for all fans of the Wiki, new and old. Look for us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts. Visit the show page at anchor.fm slash simply-creative-people. Or follow us on Twitter at S-I-M-C-R-E-A-T. Hey there, this is DJ Skip, host of Foundation After Midnight Radio, coming to you from the only third shift broadcast for personnel, by personnel. Be sure to tune in wherever you listen to podcasts to not miss out on containment news and community announcements from within the Foundation.